bring the word. It's always very hard to follow children. Like, they're just so much better. Uh, so I want to say there's uh, a lot of people who always get our applause and stuff like that, but I want to take a specific time to like, can we say thank you to the tech people in the booth back there? Sometimes we get all the attention up here and we forget about them, and, uh, and I'm feeling especially that today because Aaron, who is running the slides, is about to have a job because uh, I'm going to change the order. So please be paying attention. And I apologize now, and you can be mad at me later. Um, and, and the reason why this is tough is because uh, we're talking about pain today. Um, the way that we've structured our fall in terms of speaking is, is kind of based, as Darian's already said, about, about, about this vision we had of like the church being here, but being the people in the church being blocked up. That there is a, uh, an overflow of grace and peace that is available to us, and, and, and we're feeling blocked. And we wanted to start off in September by just reminding everybody of the promises of God, right? Reminding everybody of all of the good things that God has promised us. And then it, and now we're starting to talk about some of the problems that could be blocking us. And now we're, and today we're starting to talk about pain. And, and this has been a really hard one for me to write, not because I'm not good at this. I'm exceptionally good at this. Um, <laughs> thank you. Um, and not because the Bible doesn't have anything to say about pain. The Bible has a lot to say about pain. In fact, the oldest book of the Bible, almost all scholars agree that Job is the oldest book of the Bible, and Job is basically just an 18,000-word poem about pain. And, and for those of you that don't know, the book of Job, is, it's 42 chapters long. It's longer than you'd think, and it starts off with a, a weird interaction between God and Satan, but but Job is a righteous person, and he has wealth, and he has family, and he has all of this stuff, and then uh, it's taken from him. His children die, his wealth goes, his health goes, and his wife turns to him and says, why don't you just curse God and die? And that's in the first two chapters. And, uh, and then Job's friends show up. And he has three friends, and they come and they sit with Job in his sadness, and, uh, and they say, hey, Job, bad things happen to bad people. So you did bad things, right? And Job says, no, I didn't. And they say, really? And Job says, no, I didn't. And they say, really? And it goes on like that for about 14,500 words. Uh, and at the end, Job gets really angry, and he's just like, no, I didn't do anything to deserve this. I challenge God to come down and tell me what I did wrong. And then God shows up. And when God shows up, Job is like, what did I do? And God is like, have you ever really looked at a hippopotamus? It's really cool. It's like really big, and it looks very cute and cuddly, but hippopotamuses kill more humans than any other animal on the planet. That is a true fact, okay? And have you ever also seen a crocodile? 
very also cool. And many teeth and is in the rivers. And, and I made that. And where were you when I made that, Job? And that's the end of it. And, and the story takes Job, if we want to go to the first slide, from this place where he says, why is life given to a man whose path is hidden? Whom God has hedged in. I sigh when food is put before me and groans pour out like water. For the thing I feared has overtaken me and what I dreaded has happened to me. I cannot relax or be calm. I have no rest for turmoil has come. This is how he starts. This is real. And at the end of it, after being confronted by God, he moves to this place where I had heard reports about you, he says to God. But now my eyes have seen you. I reject my words and am sorry for them. I am dust and ashes. So that's clear. I think we're done, right? We all get it now? Pain? We're all good? But we understand why this is hard. Because we've all experienced pain and are experiencing pain. And we understand that there are different kinds of pain. There is pain and suffering that is dangerous for us, and there is pain and suffering that is not. Can we go to the two columns slide, please? When I, was, uh, when I was 14 years old, uh, well, first of all, uh, I have a bad left shoulder. It's just bad. Every once in a while, uh, I can't sleep on it, or um, it just hurts randomly, and sometimes it'll just pop out of its socket, and i got to pop it back in again. And the reason why that is the case is because I tore my rotator cuff when I was 14 years old uh, playing football. And... Uh, and I went to a, my family doctor at the time, and, and I said to my family doctor, like, hey, what can I do to fix this? And he's like, well, you can do all of these exercises, and it'll heal. And I was like, yeah, I want to not have injuries playing football. And he says, well, that's not going to happen. And I was like, it was very good. I was young, but he was like a smart person. He was just like, so if you're, he was not a football fan either. He was like, if you're going to do this, you're essentially choosing to get into a car accident for a hundred days in the fall, every day. Just choosing to go smash your body into something. So if you do that, you're gonna hurt. So if you don't wanna hurt when you're old, stop this, now. Um, and like a lot of young men, I, I did it anyway. <laughs> and that pain, even though I carry it, it doesn't really stick. Because, yeah, it interferes with my sleep sometimes. And, uh, and it interferes with, like, how I exercise. And i got to be really careful sometimes. But, like, the reality is my pain isn't, isn't ignored. I know it's there. And if I go to a doctor, he's going to maybe take an x-ray. And he's going to be like, ah, oh, your rotator cuff is nasty. I don't know what's going on in there. That looks terrible. But he's like, no wonder you're in pain, right? And then... Every time I tell that story, there is either teammates that I had back on Prince Edward Island who know that, or other people who have also played the game of football or played their own sports, and they're just like, yeah, I get that. I get, I get what it's like to, to have that happen, and I understand what it's like to trade peace in your body for a thing that you value more. So I become part of this community because I've experienced this. And then, and then the reality is, even though... It comes back all the, often. It, it's not really a permanent, you know, like I can, I can work around it. And, and it's not pointless because I would not trade 
the moments I had playing football for anything. I really wouldn't. I would not trade being a five-time Lobster Bowl champion, um, <laughs> which is... Now, this is the sadder point, uh, because I played through junior high and high school, and I was, I was decently good, but the championship football game on Prince Edward Island is called the Potato Bowl, and, and I never won that. Uh, but the, set, the, the game for third place is called the Lobster Bowl, and I won that five times. So five times I got to chant, we're number three uh, with all of my teammates. Right? But it wasn't pointless, you know? I wouldn't trade that. I wouldn't trade, you know, I, or I, I was willing to trade that. I was willing to trade having a shoulder that worked properly in my 40s and whatever brain cells I lost, I was willing to trade those for the experience that I had. So that, and we all have pain like that. We know what that's like. That's not the pain that sticks. That's not the pain that is dangerous. The pain that is dangerous for us is the pain that is ignored, right? And the pain that is dangerous for me is the betrayals, right? Because no one can look at that on an x-ray. The pain that is dangerous for me is the pain that when I talk about it, people look at me and they're like, yeah, but you shouldn't be really in pain. That was so long ago. Or, really, is that affecting you that much? Right? the pain that is ignored, or the pain that I've either tried to myself be like, nah, I'm not really hurting from that, that's not a real thing, that's not bothering me, or the pain that other people try and ignore on my behalf. I don't feel that. You seem to have had a rough experience, but I didn't have a rough experience, so. And the pain that isolates us, where people start to withdraw because they cannot stand to be around the pain that we're experiencing. They don't understand it. They don't know what it's like to sit in it. It makes them uncomfortable to see it. So, or, or we are so unwilling to confront it that we start to withdraw from other people or, we're, or our pain has led us to fear of other people. So we're just like, nah, I'm not getting hurt again, so I'm just going to continue to withdraw and withdraw and make my circle closer and smaller and tighter. And I'm going to build the fence around me not to keep other people out but to, to not to keep myself in, but because this is where it's safe and I can't trust other people, that is the pain that is dangerous for us. Or pain that is permanent, pain that feels like it's never, ever going to end. That every time we have a memory of the thing that hurt, it's not like a memory, it's like it's happening again. It's like I'm in the middle of it again. I'm having all of the same emotional reactions that I had then. Not as if it's a memory and I'm looking back at it as something that has been processed, but it is a thing that is happening to me right now. I am still falling down the stairs all the time, and it feels like I'm never, ever going to stop or get past it. That's the pain that is dangerous and pain that is pointless. Because I think that we can all understand many People in this room have had children, right? We understand the pain of childbirth. We get it. There's a thing on the other side, and I'm going to push through it. We understand the pain of growth and development, that, like, I want to get really good at this task. I want to get really good at this thing, and the only way that I'm going to get, at, I'm going to get good at it is by being bad at it. So I'm just going to throw myself into being bad at it over and over again until I get good. We understand that kind of pain. 
But if we find ourselves in pain that just doesn't seem to have a point at all, that we're not growing from it, that we're not achieving anything from it, that we're, we're just stuck, then that's the pain that gets dangerous for us. Because that's the pain that starts to dig in and it starts to take root in our soil, in our soul, and it turns into bitterness, and it turns into anger, and it turns into further isolation, and it turns into repeating patterns of harm against other people. So this is hard not because there's not a lot said about it, it's hard because we need to get to the emotional reality of it and we as Christians have not been well equipped to do that. Our church communities have often been places that have ignored pain and isolated people that are in pain. And we've taught ourselves and each other that if you really trusted God, if you really did, then you wouldn't be suffering like this. Or we've taught that if we are in deep pain, that like, but you should just like get out of it, you know, just ignore it. And isn't God good all the time? And just ignore that. And like, and ah, I don't want, ugh, I don't want to deal with that, right? That's if we're honest. And can we please just be honest for a minute? That is what we have done. So this is really hard. It's really hard because I have to take us to a place that is emotionally uncomfortable. But this is not a place that the Bible or God himself is emotionally uncomfortable with. Can we go to the shortest verse in the Bible slide, please? So this is a story of Lazarus' death. This is when this happens. It's repeated in all of the Gospels, and all of them recount Jesus' mourning. Now, Jesus is deeply aware of his power in this moment. He knows that he can call Lazarus, Lazarus back from the dead. But when he shows up three, days after, uh, three and four days after Lazarus died, at, in the midst of the funeral, and he's confronted by Mary and Martha saying, well, you could have done something if you were here. And when he sees the mourners, Jesus weeps. And there's a lot of theological things that we can take from that. But I think the most important for us to get is that Jesus is not afraid of pain. And Jesus feels. When he stepped into this world, when the word became flesh and dwelt among us, he didn't do that exempt from the problems that we have. He didn't do that exempt from a body that was breaking down. When Jesus is at the end of a day of carpentry, between the ages of, of, of 15 and 30, which is what he would have been doing, his arms were tired. And his fingers hurt. And there were times when he hit his fingers with a hammer, or he dropped something on his foot. And Jesus experienced that pain. And when his friends are hurting, and when a woman that he cared about said, comes to him and says, you could have done something if you were here, and he wasn't, he feels the pain that goes along with that. Jesus is affected by the world around him. 
and we, in turn, are also affected by the world around us. There is not a part of us as followers of Jesus that is ever going to make us exempt from pain. And I'm sorry if you've been taught that. I'm sorry if you've been taught that, like, oh, if you follow Jesus, then just everything's going to go peachy from now on. It won't. That's not Christianity. That's not the God of the Bible. That's a genie of the lamp. And if we go to the first Peter slide, if we, this is a line that is repeated so often in the New Testament by James, Paul, and Peter. Dear friends, don't be surprised when the fiery ordeal comes among you to test you if something unusual were happen, happening to you. Nothing unusual is happening. In the beginning, God created the ha heavens and the earth. And he created Adam and Eve, and you've heard me tell this story before, and you all know it. And he created Adam and Eve, and he put them in a garden, and he said, don't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And they ate. And, and that rebellion kicked off a whole lot of cir circumstances that happened. And our relationship with God was fractured in that moment because we diverted from his intention for us. And because that relationship with God was broken, our relationship with ourselves was broken. And because that relationship with God and with ourselves was broken, that relationship with other people was broken. And because that relationship with God and ourselves and with other people was broken, ultimately our relationship even with the land, with creation itself, was broken. And the Bible tells us quite clearly that because of this, women will experience pain in childbirth. There will be relational conflict between people that we will have this desire to be there for each other and we won't be able to do it and we'll keep hurting each other over and over again. And it says that we will, by the sweat of our brows, we will eat our food and the ground itself is going to fight against us. So pain is the natural consequence of the world in which we live. It wasn't intended at the beginning. God, didn't intend, God intended for us to be in proper relationship with all of these things. And that's not where we end. The Bible is also quite clear that when everything is made new, there will be no, no more mourning, nor crying, nor pain, nor death, for the old order of things has passed away. So that's where we're headed. But in the meantime, do not be surprised. Nothing unusual is happening. And I know that that's cold comfort sometimes. But it's the truth. Being a human in the world in which we live means that we will experience pain. We will experience suffering. That is the nature of what it means to be human. And there's options to get out of this. There are Eastern religions, a lot of what they teach is that like suffering comes from desire. So if you just don't desire anything, and if you don't care about anything, then you will be better off because you, you, you won't have any, you, if you don't have any desires, then you won't have any suffering. That's not what we're taught in the Bible, though. In the Bible, in following Jesus, we're called to suffer. We're called to weep. We're called to care about the people around us. We're called to care about strangers. We're called to care about ourselves and God and the people around us and all of these things. And, it, and we're supposed to, and we're even given this idea that the world is not supposed to be this way. So when the world ends up in fiery ordeals, when the world ends up operating in injustice, we feel that, that this isn't how it's supposed to be, and that's painful for us. 
So the nature of being a human, no matter how good a Christian you are, no matter how closely you follow Jesus, is that the fiery ordeal will come and you will have to deal with it. Don't be surprised, nothing is unusual here. Instead, rejoice as you share in the sufferings of Christ so that you may be rejo- rejoice with great joy when his glory is revealed. Can we go back to the column slide, please? So what Peter is doing in this moment is giving us information. That when we experience pain and we feel isolated in that, when we feel like no one possibly understands what I'm going through, and even if they do, they can't feel it with me, and I feel so desperately alone in this moment, because I don't understand what's happening and I don't know how to get out of it and I don't feel like anyone can step in, can I just promise you at that moment the information that we have been given is that our pain is shared. That even if you have no brothers and sisters around us who are around you who are willing to sit with you in your pain, Jesus has experienced it himself. And there is a great cloud of witnesses Thousands of years of our brothers and sisters who have gone before us in the faith, who have also suffered deeply, and they are with you in this moment as well. So there is no suffering, no matter how isolated you feel, no matter how much you've isolated yourself to keep yourself safe, your pain is shared, okay? And I know that that's hard, but I... Promise me, I promise you, it is. And simultaneously we see from this that that our pain is not ignored. God sees it. There's a thing that I wish we could have in life. Um, Does anybody watch figure skating? Okay. So I do once every four years. And... uh, Get very into figure skating once every four years. But what's great about figure skating, and they have it in diving as well, is they have this stat called degree of difficulty, right? And, 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 it, and it basically means that like, if you're doing a harder dive, they grade you differently than if you're doing an easier dive. And if you're doing a harder routine in figure skating, they grade you differently than if you're doing an easier routine in figure skating. And there's a mark there, and it's a number, and everybody says, like, this is 5.2 hard. And this person did one that was 4.2 hard, so this one is harder. And I really wish that all of us could just walk around with a degree of difficulty number (laughs) floating above our heads so that we could see that in other people, right? So that when you, when you like walk into McDonald's and you just see someone who is flipping out in line and having a, an experience that seems totally out of line to everything that is going on, you could just see the degree of difficulty marker above their head, right? And be like, oh man, they're, they're, they're at a 9.0 today, okay. We need to give them some room and a little bit of patience, right? But we don't have that as humans. God does, and God sees all of your degrees of difficulty, and all of the places that you thought 
God knows how hard it is for you. And he sees it. And he is proud of you in the midst of that. Your pain is not ignored. It is saved and it is honored by God Almighty because he sees it. We're told that God sees the sparrow fall. How much more does he see the degree of difficulty that you are working with? And even if you don't feel like you can share it with the people around you because it's just too heavy, trust me, God sees that reality. If we can go back to the Peter slide, please. Okay, so instead rejoice as you share in the suffering of Christ. It's not isolated. It's seen so that you may also uh, rejoice with great joy when his glory is revealed. Can we go to the next one, please? If you are ridiculed for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory rests on you. Let none of you suffer as a, okay, this is fun. Okay, we're going to, let none of you suffer as a murderer, a thief, an evildoer, or a meddler. Okay, so this is where even Peter puts some caveats on pain, right? So I'm pretty sure that most of the people here in this room, um, you're not really in danger of being a murderer, uh, a thief, or an evildoer. However, this word meddler is really fascinating. In in Greek, it's a word construct. It's just two words shoved together. The first word is other peoples, okay? And then the second word is overseer. So it's just that, this word is just a word construct of these two things shoved together. And the word is just like people who mess in other people's business. So, and this is, and I know we're all chuckling at this, like, haha, I know someone like that. You're like that. Right? Like, oh, I know another person who messes in other people. You do it. We do it. And the older I get, the more I see when people are just like, man, people are so against the church. What they're really against is meddling. What they're really against is the fact that we've tried to mess in their business without having any permission to do so. And we're trying to tell the rest of the world how to live when we don't necessarily live that great. And when I encounter people who are, who are like, I kind of like Jesus, but I can't stand this church people because, like, you're not all doing better. And I'm like, I got to, yeah, that's true. Okay? So there's no honor in suffering as a meddler, right? There's no honor for that. But if anyone suffers as a Christian... Let him not be ashamed, but glorify God in having that name. This is really fascinating. Jesus says, or Peter says to us um, in, in this moment that like when you are experiencing suffering, you should feel honored because God has seen fit that you can carry this. That just doesn't feel good when you're carrying it, Right? That doesn't feel awesome when it's just like, oh, thank you for this honor, Jesus. I'm really glad I had this childhood trauma, right? That, right? I'm glad you saw fit to hand that to me. I feel honored now. But that's the reality of what we've been given. God has seen fit for you to carry this. God has equipped you to carry it. And he's saying that you can and that he sees it and that he honors it and that it matters now and for eternity. Because if we could go back to the column for a second. So pain, 
So um, the, uh, we don't have to go to the slide because I'm just going to say this. We're dealing with pain and suffering. They're two different things. Pain is the circumstances that happen to us, right? So I fell down, uh, I, I busted up my shoulder, tore my rotator cuff, that is the circumstance. The suffering is how I handle that and how I deal with that, right? So if every time I wake up with a hurt shoulder, I get cranky and I yell at my family, then I'm suffering badly, right? So in the same way, I have been betrayed in church ministry. That is just the natural reality of being in church ministry for a long time. It's going to happen. But that is the circumstance. The, uh, the suffering that I can choose to do well or badly, right? So if, I'm gonna, so if I do this badly, that betrayal turns into me getting guarded, me getting bitter, me getting angry, me putting walls up, and me ultimately hurting other people because I'm not dealing with that suffering, right? And we have the choice to move from these things, right? And we can help each other do that. But what is most important for us is that we start to take ownership of our suffering and our pain, okay? Because I can't change your circumstances and you can't change your circumstances, but you can choose what you do with them, right? So we as brothers and sisters, we can choose that when a brother or sister comes to us and says, I'm in pain either because of something that is happening to me physically or I'm in pain because of something that is happening to me emotionally, we can just agree with them. We don't, one of the worst things that we do to each other is we argue about each other's pain. Someone will show up and be like, ah, I'm really hurt. Are you really? Why? Why, 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 why are you arguing with them about this? Man, I was really hurt by this group of people. Well, they didn't hurt me, so it couldn't have happened. What? Right? So when someone comes to us with pain, we can honor them and acknowledge them. And that stops that pain from being isolating and ignore, being ignored and, and isolating us. And in the same way, we can courageously share that with other people, that I'm not doing well. I'm not okay. I'm carrying a lot of weight, and, and, and I feel alone right now, and I need some people to just sit with me, right? That is a thing that we are in control of. And we can hold in our head that even though the pain that we are dealing with is, feels like it is never going to end, that we trust in the promise that pain is temporary, no matter what happens. And it's temporary not because of anything that we're going to do or any circumstance that's going to change. It's, it's temporary because God himself is going to intervene. And he's promised us in Revelation 20 that heaven will crash into earth and there will be no more mourning or crying or death or pain. And that is a fact that we can grab onto even in the midst of our darkest days, that we choose to do that. But this is the other one because I think this is the... Pain being pointless is the one that hurts me the most. Because it doesn't feel like it matters. And there is nothing more painful for me, and probably some of you, than the prayers that God seems to have said no to or just ignored. Where the times that I've asked God, like, God, I can't, I feel like I'm in a hole I can't get out of. Like, can you just change something to get me out of this hole? And he's just said no. Or the times 
when I've, like, when I've said, I need this person to understand how they're hurting me right now. God, I need you to do a miracle in their lives so they stop hurting me in this way. And God said, no. That's when it feels pointless. But can we go to the Revelation slide? I read this about 10 years ago, and it broke me emotionally and really changed a whole bunch of things in my life. And I, and I, if nothing else, take this away with you. So Revelation 1, it's a book that I avoided because bad circumstances growing up, but you, whatever. Um, but I started to read it again as an adult, and I got to this point. And there's all these weird visions and stuff that's happening, and I don't understand it, and, 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 and it's confusing to follow. But we get to this point where John is just watching, and, and he says, Another angel came and stood at the altar holding a golden censer. A censer is a, a, is a kind of bowl, okay? And so much incense was, and much incense was given to, to him that he might add it to the prayers of the saints on the golden altar that was before the throne. The prayers of the saints are on the altar before the throne. Every, every prayer that you have ever made where you feel like it's been ignored or you've got to know has been saved. There is a record. It exists. It has been acknowledged. And it is on the throne before God. And he is honored by that. And even if he didn't change anything, even if he didn't move in this moment, even if he didn't take away your pain supernaturally, that prayer has been saved. It is there on the throne with all of the prayers of the saints. And the smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints went up before God out of the angel's hand. And then the angel took the censer and filled it with fire of the altar and threw it to the earth. And there followed the peals of thunder and sounds of flashes of lightning and an earthquake. This is God remaking the world from what it is now, which is a place where pain is just usual to a place where mourning and crying are no more. And the instrument that he uses to do that is your unanswered prayers. So none of your prayers are unanswered. All of your prayers are stored and seen and honored and they will be used to make this world new. Can we sit in that this morning for a second? Can we take a moment and just think about every time where you furiously went, God, why did you say no to that? And rather than seeing a God who has turned his back on you in that moment or is standing stone-faced in the silent, can you imagine... A God who instead takes that prayer and saves it and says, I can't do anything with this for you right now, but trust me, it's going to change the world someday. What's frustrating about this point is that there is no activity to do. 
to, if we go to the columns again, um, these feel like they're out of our hands. But the Bible, over and over again, over and over again, says that if you're in a place where you're suffering dangerously, there is one activity that you can engage in to move from suffering dangerously to suffering well. There's an action that you can take at any time that will move you in that direction. No matter how stuck you feel, no matter how small you feel, no matter how dumb you feel, no matter how lost you feel, there is an action that you can undertake to move you from suffering dangerously to suffering well. And it is simply this. Have you ever really looked at a hippopotamus? Like, really? Like, really? Like, there's a video online of, like, somebody putting a giant whole watermelon into a hippopotamus's mouth, and then, like, and it is amazing. Terrifying, that is a good word, but it's also amazing. When we feel like we are suffering dangerously, the activity that we're given to do over and over again throughout the Psalms is not to try and change our emotions or move from anger to something else. The activity that we're given is to praise God. To acknowledge that surely the heavens declare the glory of God. That we were not there when God created hippopotamuses. Hippopotami? Nor crocodiles. That we follow a God who was there when he created the storehouses of snow. That we follow a God who created the Rockies and sees them as small. We created a God who knows the tides and all of the depths of the ocean that we haven't even explored yet. And when we are suffering badly, the activity that we are to engage in is to move to praising God to make us suffer well. And I'm not going to tell you that it's going to make your pain easier, because it might not. Probably won't. But I can tell you that it does change you. That your focus shifts from what is happening to you to the God to, of all creation and what he is doing. And in that moment, that activity helps us to move from suffering dangerously in a way that continues to do damage to us and to all of the people around us and moves us into suffering well. We're about to take communion. And communion is a really important part of this trajectory of suffering well as opposed to suffering dangerously. Because when Jesus instituted the, the, uh, the, the ritual of communion for his people, he was at the Last Supper, he was at the Passover Supper before he went to the cross, and he was with his disciples and he took bread and he broke it. We're going to distribute this. So may I have just a... Thank you. He took bread and he broke it and said, this is my body which is broken for you. Take and eat. And when we take and eat, we recognize that Jesus' body was broken for us because we are in need of repair. And we are in need of healing and we look to Jesus for that.
And because we don't do this alone, we do this together with our brothers and sisters. As we take this bread and take this cup, we are saying, I am with Jesus and I am with you. So I am one who experiences pain, you are one who experiences pain. I am one who feels lost and angry and frustrated, you are one who feels lost and angry and frustrated. But both of us are coming to a God that is greater than anything that we could possibly imagine. And we are doing this together because this is what we have been called to do. So we're passing this around. It's going to take a little bit of time. That's okay. I have many crumbs in my hand that I'm just going to deal with now. But in the same way he took the cup and he said, Jesus said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood which is poured out for the forgiveness of sins. And when we drink this cup, we are saying that I am a sinner and I need to have my sins forgiven. I agree with Jesus about who he says that I am. And when we take this together, we are saying, I am with Jesus in agreement and I'm in Jesus and we are in agreement together. That you are also a sinner and we are going to show grace to each other and we are in this world together and we are going to drink from the same cup because we are all in need of forgiveness of sins. And as I take this cup, I'm gonna do my best to see the degree of difficulty chart floating above your head because I know the degree of difficulty chart that I've got floating above my head and I am with Jesus and I am with you. So if I could just get a, a wave or a, a shout when, the, uh, when everybody's got the cup, we're going to take a moment in silent prayer until we're finished handing things out. 